God's word says this in chapter 5, verse 13. When Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, No, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Does that, does that ring a bell to, to Moses? Now, chapter 6, verse 1, Now Jericho was shut up inside and outside because of the people of Israel. None went out and none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand, and with its king and mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city, all the men of war, going around the city once. Thus shall you do for six days. Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. On the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpet. And when they make a long blast with a ram's horn, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people shall go up, everyone straight before him. So Joshua the son of Nun called the priests and said to them, Take up the ark of the covenant and let the seven priests bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord. And he said to them, go forward, march around the city, and let the armed men pass on before the ark of the Lord. And just as Joshua had commanded the people, the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Lord went forward, blowing the trumpets with the ark of the covenant of the Lord following them. The armed men were walking before the priests who were blowing the trumpets, and the rear guard was walking after the ark while the trumpets blew continually. But Joshua commanded the people, You shall not shout or make your voice heard. Neither shall any word go out of your mouth until the day I tell you to shout. Then you shall shout. So he caused the ark of the Lord to circle the city, going about it once. And they came into the camp and spent the night in the camp. Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and the priests took up the ark of the Lord. And the seven priests, bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord, walked on, and they blew the trumpets continually. And the armed men were walking before them, and the rear guard was walking after the ark of the Lord while the trumpets blew continually. And the second day they marched around the city once and returned into the camp. So they did for six days. On the seventh day, they rose early at the dawn of day and marched around the city in the same manner seven times. It was only on that day that they marched around the city seven times. And at the seventh time, when the priests had blown the trumpets, Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city, and the city and all that is within it shall be devoted to the Lord for destruction. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in her house shall live because she hid the messengers whom we sent. But you keep yourselves from the things devoted to destruction, lest when you have devoted them you take any of the devoted things, lest when you have devoted them you take any of the devoted things and make the camp of Israel a thing for destruction and bring trouble upon it. But all silver and gold and every vessel of bronze and iron are holy to the Lord. They shall go into the treasury of the Lord. So the people shouted, 
and the trumpets were blown. And as soon as the people heard the sound of the trumpet, the people shouted a great shout, and the wall fell down flat so that the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they captured the city. Then they devoted all the city to destruction, both men and women, young and old, oxen, sheep, and donkeys with the edge of the sword. But to the two men who had spied out the land, Joshua said, Go into the prostitute's house and bring out from there the woman and all who belonged to her as you swore to her. So the young men who had, sp- had been spies went in and brought out Rahab and her father and mother and brothers and all who belonged to her. And they brought out all her relatives and put them outside the camp of Israel. And they burned the city with fire and everything in it. Only the silver and gold and the vessels of bronze and of iron they put into the treasury of the house of the Lord. But Rahab, the prostitute in her father's household, and all who belonged to her, Joshua saved alive. And she has lived in Israel to this day because she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. Church family, we are about to worship the Lord. Me through the preaching of his word and you through the listening to his word being preached. Let's offer him our very best. Let's pray to the Lord. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning and we come with our palms open. It's so easy for us to be tight-fisted with our lives and tight-fisted with our plans and tight-fisted with all of our aspirations. But this morning, before you, before the God who crushed the walls of Jericho, we come and our palms are open toward heaven, asking you, Lord, to take our lives and do with them as you wish. We do not take it for granted that we have access through Jesus Christ to come and to implore the floor of heaven and to know that we have audience with the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the God of all gods. And so, Father, we come and we ask that you would open up our hearts and soften them to your word. Open up our minds to understand what is foolishness to the world. Open up our ears to hear that which you have designated specifically for us this morning. God, I I pray that through your spirit you would move freely among your people this morning and that sin would be convicted and that sinners would be encouraged and that the church would advance forward and that your fame would spread even more. God, we offer you the time that we have now and ask that, God, you would use it as an eternal investment in our lives. We come to you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. If you can go back and you can remember what it was like on your wedding day when you'd had this long engagement maybe and there'd been all of this buildup and all of these plans and all of these ideas and all of these dreams and then finally it's the day. Or or maybe you can think back to what it was like when uh, you were about to graduate from high school. And so for 13 years, you had waited for that day, and you had thought about that day. And for so many of those years, it felt like that day was unrealistic, that you were never going to actually attain the goal that you had always had. But then, then it's graduation day. Or maybe you found out that you were going to have a baby, and for, for nine months, you watched as your wife's belly grew, and you, you thought about what he or she was going to be like, and you thought about all the responsibilities that you had and that you bore, and you, you thought about all the different things that you were supposed to do and places that you wanted to go, but it felt like that nine months was never going to be over, and then it was. <laughs> 
right? And then it was. And then, and then you were married. And then, there, there we go. I think that, that was. Then you were married. And then you were graduated. And then the baby come. And there's this mixed feeling as you await, right? There's this mixed feeling like, like you're excited, but you're nervous. You're thankful, but you're trepidatious, right? Well, if you, if you can relate to that kind of emotion, you can relate exactly where Israel is when we catch up to them in, Ma- in Joshua chapter 5. In Joshua chapter 5, they've been, they're crossed over the Jordan River, and now they are right on the edge of fulfilling a promise that had been made to them generations ago, a promise that for so much of the time must have felt as though it was never going to be realized, or, or as though it was so far in the future it was impossible to be excited about. But here they are, now on the other side of the Jordan, standing before the walls of Jericho, knowing that this is the time that they are going to experience what all of the previous generations had only been promised and so there is excitement but you can imagine there are nerves there is thankfulness but there is trepidation there is the realization that that we are the ones we have the responsibility we have the opportunity but it's not to be no small task as you read, as they would have stood there looking at the size of those walls, they would have known this was, this was no small task that, that lie before them. It seems like for Israel, it's one step of faith after another, right? It's one step of faith after another. It's stepping around one corner after another corner. It's having all of the promises in the shadows and being called forward to where you really can't see as clearly as you would like to be able to see. See, I think for a lot of us, we think of a life of faith and we think of one watershed moment. One watershed moment in which we, we need to just be able to muster up enough faith and, and then we get through that moment. We, we take that big step. We, we go where we couldn't see or we do what we could, didn't understand or we, we move forward with what we were, were originally nervous about. But then our assumption is, if you're like me, that once we take that step of faith, once we turn around that corner, once we step out of that shadow, that then, from this point on, I'll be able to handle it. <laughs> that from this point on, now, now it'll be things that I understand. Once I muster up the faith to get through that big moment, that watershed moment, that, that terrifying moment, and when I get to the other side of it, now, that, now I'll be able to live a normal life. Now I'll be able to live a life that makes more sense to me. Now I'll be able to see a bit clearer. But what Israel is showing us is what many of you have experienced over decades of walking with Jesus. There is no normal. There is no normal. A life of faith is characterized by one step of faith after another. By, by, by one trusting step after another trusting step. By one step out of the shadows into another step out of the shadows. That the life of faith is a life that is dynamic, not status, a static. A life that is ever changing and ever evolving and ever stretching us and, and making us uncomfortable and making us nervous and, and, and compromising our, our ability to understand and calling us forward all the same. That's why, that's why that our text, that the New Testament remembers 
our text in Joshua 5 and 6 as being about faith. As being about faith. In the, in the famous Hall of Faith passage in Hebrew, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 30, it says this, By faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. That the way that the New Testament remembers the, the story about the battle of Jericho is it remembers it being a story of faith. That the reason that the walls fell, the reason that the walls came down was not because Israel had battering rams. It was not because Israel was particularly brave or particularly able or particularly brilliant. The reason that the walls of Jericho come crashing down was that Israel took steps of faith. They lived by faith faith in what God had commanded. They lived by faith in where God was calling them to. They put all of their hope and all of their well-being and all of their confidence and all of their trust in the Lord. And so even though they had taken numerous steps of faith, even though they were still nervous, even though they must have still been uncomfortable, even though there must have still been some fragments of doubt bouncing around in their mind, they moved forward and they followed the commands of the Lord so that the walls of Jericho come and fall flat. And so what I want us to see this morning is I want us to see the type of faith that fails walls. The type of faith that fails walls. Walls. The first type of faith that I want you to see is a sub, that we see here is it a submissive faith. Faith in spite of what I see. A submissive faith. Faith in spite of what I see. You can imagine here Joshua, it's the night before at the end of chapter 5 there. It's the, the night before they're supposed to go in and lay siege to the city of Jericho. And he's got the moonlit sky and he's there and he's wondering, how's all this going to go? How's all this going to turn out? Notice what it says in verse 13. When Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes. Now, let me ask you. If he had his head down, is that the posture of courage? Is that the posture of courage? Is that that posture? Remember, in chapter 1, we have these, these three charges to Joshua. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Be very strong and of good courage. Go and, and press on knowing that you can be bold and brave. But here, here is Joshua and his head is down. You, you have to wonder... If as the leader, he's not feeling the, the weight of the well-being of all the people that he's responsible for. That he's the one that's responsible for all the children of Israel. He's responsible for all the fighting men. He's responsible for whether or not the, the, the wives are going to get back their husbands. He's responsible for whether or not Jericho is going to fall or if Jericho is going to fall them. He's feeling the weight of that. And so you can imagine there is... Joshua, and he's looking up at the walls of Jericho, and he knows the stories of those walls. Those walls have stood for centuries. It was a, a fortress of a city. It was a refuge for its people. It was, it was a stronghold. And for centuries, people, armies, would go, and they would try to ascend the walls and come over to take over the city of Jericho. And as the armies would come over the walls, the the arrows of Jericho would rain down on them and slaughter them. And then the people would come out and dismantle all of the opposing army. And so as he looked up, don't you know he had to wonder, will we really be any different? Will we really be any different? 
do we really have some kind of unique ability to overcome what no other army has been able to overcome? Do we really have the ability to be able to conquer what no one else has been able to conquer? Do we really have the ability to lay siege to a city that is as stronghold as Jericho is, that has more fighting men as, like Jericho does, that have, has men of, of valor and courage, as our text points out? So you can imagine these last moments of doubt in Joshua's mind. And so he's got his head down and he's, and he's wondering exactly what it's going to look like. And let me tell you, brothers and sisters, that is what opportunities of faith always look like. Opportunities of faith always look like they are impossible. They always look like they're insurmountable. They always appear as though they're not going to be able to overcome them, not going to be able to attain them, not going to be able to deliver them. And so what Joshua is looking at is an opportunity to doubt, sure. He's, he's looking at an opportunity to, to, to back down, to, to try to go back against the Jordan, but he's got the Jordan behind him, the walls before him. What else is he going to do? This is the moment of truth. You can imagine that against that moonlit sky, as his head is down, he's looking and maybe he's praying or, or, or maybe he's contemplating or, or maybe he's trying to take a deep breath under a panic attack. Who really knows, right? But against that moonlit sky, something flashes in his peripheral vision. And he looks up. And there is a warrior, a warrior unlike any of the warriors he saw in Egypt. A warrior unlike any of the warriors in his own, in his own army. A warrior is standing there and he has a sword drawn. Now, look at the question that he asks. He says, are you for us or for our adversaries? Are you for us or for our adversaries? In other words, Joshua, in, his, in, in that moment, what he's wondering is, okay, either I'm condemned, this man is going to execute me, he's going to behead me, or we're saved because he's going to fight for us. He's going to go with us. I've never seen a warrior like this. I've never seen one so mighty. I've never seen one so strong. I've never seen one so bold. And so here he is, sword drawn. And the question, the question that Joshua has is, are you with me or are you against me? Now, I, I like the, angel, the angel's response here. Are you for us or are you against us? That's an either-or question, right? And yet the angel answers with no, no. <laughs> he answers an either-or question with a yes-no answer. It, it reminds me, when I was in elementary school, we would write, you know, you, you, would, you would find the, the, the nice little lady that, you know, you had a love interest for, right? And you would write out a letter. And you say, will you be, it was very articulate and usually misspelled. And, you know, you had the giant Snoopy pencil or, or whatever. And you, you would write out, will, will you be my girlfriend? You didn't know what that was. You may have never even had words before, right? But will you be my girl, girlfriend? And you would put circle, yes or no. Now, I don't know how, how, how it went down at your, your elementary school, but in mine, what was very common is that the girl would circle or. Circle or. You're like, what does that mean? Circle, yes, or I don't think you're following the spirit of the letter, right? Like, this is, this is not a letter of the law situation. This is a spirit of the law situation, and I think you're compromising the spirit of the law. And so you would, you would give them these options, and they would select or. Like, that's not one of the options, lady, right? 
And it feels very much like that is what the angel of the Lord is doing with Joshua, doesn't it? Are you with us or against us? Circle one. And he circles the oar. No. Well, I don't even know what that means. What, what, what do you mean, no? You're with us or you're against us? No. <laughs> I want you to think about the way this question what the, would come across. Here's what he's asking. Here's what Joshua's asking. Whom do you serve? Do you serve me or do you serve my enemies? Do you serve me or do you serve Jericho? And the angel of the Lord says to that question, no, I do not serve you and I do not serve your enemies. And Joshua's response is only to bow down. See, see here's what we have. This is, this is what I would consider to be a Christophany, okay? <laughs> There's a big word for you. Use that in Scrabble. A Christophany. A Christophany is a, a, a picture, a manifestation of Christ in the Old Testament, Okay, so, so there, there's a few different reasons I would say that. First of all, we, we're going to see here in a, in a little bit more so in a second, but Joshua bows down and worships. A regular angel will not receive worship that is owed only to God. But here, B- Joshua bows down and worships, and the angel does not stop him. J- just as it was the case with J- uh, Moses and the burning, burning bush, which calls out and says, I am who I am. Here again, we see that the the angel looks to Moses and says, take off your sandals because you're on holy ground. Then look at uh, chapter 6, verse 2, and notice what it says. The idea here is that this is still the angel of the Lord talking. It says, and the Lord said to Joshua. The Lord said to Joshua. So the, cha- the, the, the commander of the Lord's army is speaking and is giving total credit to the Lord. It's calling him the Lord. And then you have, I, I would say specifically, this is Jesus, a pre-incarnate picture of Jesus. Because why? This is God in bodily form. Form and 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 who is the commander of the Lord's army? Revelation 19 and 20 says that's Jesus. That Jesus is the commander of the Lord's army. And so so here he is, and he's saying, I am the commander of the Lord's army. I am, I am Christ. I do not serve you. You you serve me. You serve me. You see, you see, it, the kings always went with their people into battle, but Israel didn't have a king, or at least not ones that you could see with eyesight. Israel had a king, but you saw their, you see their king with the eyes of faith. And so here was the Lord. And just like the other nations would have their king go with them, so, so here in Israel, their king was certainly to be right in their midst. And there he is with his sword drawn saying, you won't have to fight. You won't have to battle. I'm going before you. I'm going with you. But I'm not serving you. See, Joshua, you have to imagine, had all of his plans. He would have had battering rams. He would have had, uh, he would have had uh, swords ready. He would have been making all of his strategies and all of his battle plans. And so the question he's asking the, the, the commander of the Lord's army is, will you bless my plan? Will you come and participate in my plan that we can go storm the gates of Jericho and conquer them? And here's what God is saying. No, 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 no. I don't join in your plan. You join in my plan. We're not going to do this your way. We're going to do this my way. We're not going to do what makes sense to you. We're going to do what I have declared. And if you will go where I have, if you will participate in what I have declared, you will know a certain victory. Let me tell you something. It is not faith. It is not faith for you to make plans for your life and then invite God to be a part of those plans. 
That's not faith. It's, it's so common, man. It's so common. God, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to live close to mom. I'm going to have two children, not three children. I'm going to get married at 25. I'm going to have children at 31. I'm going to graduate from college with my master's degree. I'm going to work at such and such. I'm going to retire at a certain age. I'm going to be in good health. So, Lord, would you come, would you come and, and bless my plan? God, would you, I invite you, oh Lord, to come in and, and show your glory right here in my plan. I, I, I invite you, Lord, to come and to, to participate in my plan. Y'all, that's not faith. That's not faith. That's looking to the Lord as though the Lord is your servant. That's looking to the Lord as though the Lord owes you something. That's looking to the Lord as though your wisdom is supreme, as though, as though you are the one that is the deciding factor of your life. No, faith, faith is looking to the Lord and saying, Lord, what is your plan for my life? Lord, where do you want me to go? Lord, what do you want me to do? How do you want to use my schedule? How do you want to use my energy? How do you want to use my resources? How do you want to use my life? How do, who do you want me to marry? When do you want me to marry them? Do you want me to marry Lord, what do you have plans for my children and the size of my family? Where do you want me to live? Where do you want me to go? God, I am a blank slate in your hands. See, the, the plans, the plans that Joshua was, that God was preparing to call Joshua to were plans that Joshua would have never figured out on his own. But, but, if, but if your life is centered on your plans and your ambitions and your aspirations, your life is not centered upon God. I want you to look at your plans. I want you to think about your family, your career, your marriage, your retirement, your high school time, your college career. I want you to think about all of those things. And I want, to ask, I want you to ask yourself honestly, am I asking God to serve my plans or am I offering up myself and saying, God, I will serve your plans wherever your plans lead me, wherever your plans take me, Lord, let me be a part. So you see the way that Joshua responds. Joshua hears what the commander of the Lord's army says, and he does what, what Hebrews would, would often do. He, he begins to bow down, and he falls on his face to the earth. Hebrews, they are, uh, they, they're not nearly as, as conservative and as reserved as we are. When they worship the Lord, they worship the Lord with their full body, with the full expression, the, an outward expression of an inward reality, and he falls down on his face. And the, 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 the reality, is, the, the way that he worships is quite clear. What he's saying is, is, if you want all of my life, if you want all of who I am, You've got it. You've got it. I bow myself before you and I submit to you. I submit to your plans. I submit to your will. I submit to your way. Take me where you want me to go. Be, let, make me be who you would have me to be. Make, let my plans for Jericho be your plans for Jericho. Oh God, oh God, I don't want you to bless my plans. No, Lord, I repent of that. I fall on my face before you and I say, Lord, here is my life. Take it. Here's my life. Take it. It reminds me of what Paul says in Romans chapter one, or chapter twelve, verse one. He says, "I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, 
holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. The, the word spiritual there can be translated as reasonable or as logical. That, that in other words, that when you begin to understand who Christ is, when you stand in the presence of the Lord, in other words, if you, you stand in the presence of the, of the commander of the, ar- of the army of the Lord, Jesus himself, and his sword is drawn, there is only one reasonable response. There is only one logical response, and it is to bow down on your face before him in submission and say, open-handed, you get it all. You get it all. I'll go where you want me to go, do what you want me to do, be who you want me to be. You, you, you get it all. I am alive as a man, but I am a sacrifice unto you. From this day forward, I submit to your leadership. I submit to your plans. I submit to your wisdom. I submit to your holiness. I submit to your sovereignty. I live in submission to you. The idea of the Christian life is to to sign a blank check that is your life and hand it over to the Lord. And say, Lord, you cash this any way that you see fit. For any amount that you think reasonable. For any, for any, uh, any purpose that you have in mind. My life is in your hands a submitted blank check. Is, Is that you? Is that you, honestly? You don't have to impress me. It doesn't matter what I think. But with your heart before the Lord, can you say in all honesty, I am a blank check in his hands. I'll go where he wants me to go and be who he wants me to be and do what he wants me to do. I am submitted. This is the second type of faith that I want us to see this morning. That is an absurd faith. An absurd faith. Faith in spite of how it sounds. If you, if you listen to the plan that God gives to to Joshua regarding Jericho, it sounds crazy. It sounds crazy. Let's look at at it together. Beginning in chapter 6, verse 2, he says, And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hands with its king and mighty men of valor. So so he's already drawing out differences. It's it's, it's subtle, but he's already drawing out differences. They have a king, you don't have a king. They have men of valor, you have men of inexperience, men of the wilderness. Verse 3, So you shall march around the city. March around the city. Not, not lay siege to the city. Not take battering rams and pound the city. You shall march around the city. All the men of war going around the city once. And this you shall do for six days. Seven priests, all right? Now, if you're going to battle, Glenn, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw you a bone here. You don't want the Navy SEALs. You want the Marines. If you have the Marines with you, that, that's the people that you're going, you want to go to battle with. Let me tell you. Whether you like Navy SEALs, wherever side you fall on there. Let me tell you who you don't want on your side. Me. Me. John. Andrew. Can y'all imagine that you are going to battle, you are going to war, the livelihood of your family, the the well, but you're you're lying. And you think, you know what? We we have military officers in our church. We have Navy SEALs. We we have uh, incredible F-22 Raptor airplane. So I'll tell you what we need to do. Let's go get Cody, Andrew, and John, and let's go storm the gates. So, so here, they're prepared to go face the mighty men, and what does he say? Go, get the, go round up the priests. I'm going to need seven priests for this exercise. I'm going to need seven priests for this battle. Shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. On the seventh day, you shall march around the city seven times, and the priest shall blow trumpets. It's neat how it uses seven four times. Uh, most commentators think that seventh is the 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 day that com- that 
creation is declared to be perfect and complete. And so what you're seeing and preparing for in Jericho is a decreation, an, an unraveling of this creation, a, a, a victory that will result in complete, perfect, and total annihilation. Um, verse 5, and when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall down flat. Now, can we just be honest? This is an absurd plan. This is an absurd plan. He's got the wrong people fighting, and, and the people that are fighting are doing the wrong things. They're, they're walking around the city. And literally, they're opening themselves up, showing their hand before it comes to, so that the enemy can attack them from any angle they so please. And then on the last day, they're going to do it seven times. They're going to offer themselves seven different times so that the enemy can come in and, and take them down. And they're not just going to be centered around their, their strongest fighting men or their greatest battalion. They're going to be, they're going to be centered around seven seven. Priests and these priests, you know what they're going to be doing? They're not going to be holding swords. They're not going to be holding battering rams. They're going to be holding trumpets, and they're going to be they're going to be playing and and blowing on the shofars the whole time as they go around the periphery of the city. It, it's an utterly absurd plan. But you know what? We've read enough of the Bible together so far, church family, that we can start to say God specializes in absurd plans, doesn't He? This seems to be the calling card of what God calls us to do. This seems to be the calling card for how you can know that God is in it. How do you know that God is in it? Is it something that you naturally want to do? No. Is it a place that you would naturally go? No. Are you feeling drawn there? Are you feeling commanded to go there? Yes. Well, that's probably not you. That's probably not the flesh. That's probably the Lord calling you forward into an absurd plan to participate in what he's calling you to participate in. But you see, absurd plans, plans that from our perspective seem, seem crazy, are opportunities for us to demonstrate who we really trust, who we really have confidence in. Paul frames this up in 1 Corinthians. It reminds me of what he says. He says, the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. So listen to what Paul says. All right, so foolishness is wisdom. Weakness is strength. Now, of course, when he's talking about foolishness, what's he talking about? He's talking about from, from man's perspective. He's talking about foolishness from, from what we can see, from, from what our, that, that to us, what God does looks crazy. To us, what God is calling us to looks dumb even. It looks, it looks ignorant. It looks, it looks destructive. It looks, it looks foolish. That what God calls strength, that what, God, what I, God identifies as being strong and ready and able is what we would look at and say, that's weakness. That's not strength. God calls us to gentleness and we call that weakness. God calls us to meekness and we call that weakness. God calls us, God calls us to compassion and we call that weakness. That the, that the weakness of, to us is strength to the Lord. That God operates on this system in which his plans and his ways seem absurd to our earthly sensibilities. Think about it. How does God say that we attain joy? Through self-denial. Through self-denial. Any of you guys seen any of your any commercials lately on your television that are saying, you want to be happy? You should deny yourself and not buy anything. You should deny yourself and not go out and eat this expensive meal. 
You, you should deny yourself and, and do without things right now and do without an easier life and do without a nicer house and do without an, a nicer car and do without all the things that you can have, do without the clothes that, that you would prefer yourself. You should do without all of those things. And by doing without, you have a pathway to joy. To us, it's absurd. To us, it looks like foolishness. To God, it's wisdom. How, how, for how many of you, you, you would say that... Uh, that I want, to have, I want to live a powerful life. I want to live a powerful life. So what's the, what's the pathway to a powerful life? Is it eating better? Is it, is it working out more? Is it, is it being more cutthroat at work? Is it working longer hours? Is it, is it smoozing the boss in the right way? You know what God says? Talk to me. Prayer. Prayer. The, the, pathway to, to, the, the pathway to power in your life is to pray. It's to get on your face and to lower yourself and to humble yourself and to, to call on my name. Seems absurd to us. Seems crazy. You know what he says? He says, do you want to know life? You want to know real life? The pathway to life takes you to a torturous instrument of death. The cross. The world looks at the cross and its sensibilities are offended. The world looks at the cross and it makes no sense to them. But for God, he looks to the cross where he laid down his son and he says this. This is the pathway to life. It is the opposite. It is what appears to be weakness is really strength. What appears to be foolishness is really wisdom. So these absurd plans that God is calling Joshua to, these absurd plans that God is calling you to and that God is calling me to, these absurd plans are invitations for us to live a life of faith. They're invitations for us to put our confidence and our trust, whether are we going to trust our earthly sensibilities, those things that make sense to us, those things that are logical to us, those things that are rational to us, or or, or are we going to take our lives, lay them down before the Lord and say, Lord, Lord, it doesn't make sense to me, but I follow you. I don't even necessarily, I'm not excited about it, but I follow you. Lord, I trust you above all the things that make sense to me, all the things that seem reasonable to me, all the things that I hope for, all the things that I've longed for. I trust you. I'm going to do this your way, even though your way to me looks crazy. It, it reminds me of a story I heard from one of my friends. My friend was telling me about his cousin. His cousin was, all he had ever wanted to be was a dentist. He, he, was, a, he was a Christian man, had, had come to, to faith in Christ, and was, was really trying to live radically for the Lord. But his whole ambition in life was to become a dentist. He had done all of his undergrad work to that end. He had went to dentistry school, and it was time for him to take the capstone uh, exam of, of the primary course, the, the exam that everybody's worried about, you know, that, that actually if you pass this exam, you're considered a dentist. And he had been preparing and working and studying. And the night before the exam, there was a group of the people from his class that got together, and they were going to study for the exam together. And so he went, he participated in the study group, and they studied all through the night. And then they got to the day, and, and all the nerves and all the worry and all, you, you know how you feel when everything culminated to this moment. And the professor begins to hand out the, the exams. And when my friend's cousin gets his exam, he looks down and his heart sinks. And he realizes that what they had spent all night long studying was an illegally obtained copy of the test. He knew every answer. 
He knew exactly his dream could be totally realized. But he sat, he sat there and he looked at that exam. And he came under the conviction of the Lord that this was not the way. This was not how he would bring glory to God. This is not how he would be, he, 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 this would not allow his, his conscience to be at peace. And so he stood up and he took that exam and he turned it in and he received a zero. And my friend's cousin never became a dentist. Never became a dentist. And the question that stands before you and I is the same question, the same question that would have stood before Joshua on this day. Is that foolish or is that wise? Is that foolish or is that wise? From the outside looking in, you could make all the justifications in the world, couldn't you? I didn't know it was a stolen test. I, 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 I wasn't doing it intentionally. There was not malice in my heart. I've worked so hard, I, I would have passed the test anyway. Surely God would understand me being caught up in a circumstance such as this, being in a, a situation as, as difficult as the one that I'm in. Surely he wouldn't expect me to have worked all those years for, for nothing and have all of this education, all of this understanding that I could do nothing with. Surely, surely none of that makes sense. Unless there's something higher than our highest aspirations. Unless our chief goal is not what we have always wanted on this earth, but our chief goal is that God's glory might be multiplied and God's glory might be increased and God's glory might be advanced. So when it comes to cheating on your taxes or looking over the shoulder of, your, of the friend in front of you in class or plagiarizing a paper, when it's skimming hours and, and, and running the clock longer than you're going to be at work. There is a way that seems right to the world. There is a way that seems reasonable to the world. There is a way that seems, that seems to make sense to the world. And it's absurd to God. Absurd. And there is a way, there is a way that to the world it looks absurd, and to the world it looks crazy, and to the world it looks foolish, and to the world it looks illogical and irrational. But to God, to God, it makes all the sense in the world. To God, it is all the wisdom in the world. To God, it is all the strength in the world. What do you want? What do you want? If your life, if your life doesn't look crazy to the faithless, it's probably not a life of faith. How does your life look? Brings us to, to the final example of faith that we see here, a confirmed faith. A confirmed faith, faith in light of what God has said. I want you to think, imagine what it would have been like Seven days they had marched around that city. Seven days the Israelites had not said a word. Seven days the, the priests had blown the shofars continuously. Seven days. And then, then, on that seventh day, after the seventh time, they, they blow the trumpets and the people shout and the walls fall down flat. What must have that have been like for Israel, 
this crazy, absurd call confirmed in their lives, proven to be true. But you know what else it tells us? The whole wall didn't fall. You ever thought about that? I think we, we imagine there being zero wall left when Jericho fall, when Jericho, the walls of Jericho fell. But the whole wall didn't fall. There was a part of the wall that had been preserved. Because you see, it wasn't just the people of Israel that had observed and, and obeyed an absurd call. It was Rahab that had observed and, uh, and obeyed an absurd call in her life. This call to disobey her king, to commit treason against her people. And listen to what it says. So the young men who had been spies went in and brought out Rahab. This is after the walls fell. Can you imagine Rahab? Her house is built into the side of the wall, and there's one part of the wall, only one, that still stands. It's where she is. It's where that scarlet ribbon has been tied up in the bars. Her faith, her faith, like Israel's faith, confirmed. God may be calling you to do something crazy. God may be calling you to do which works against every sense of logic and rationale that you have. God may be calling you to that which all of the world thinks you're crazy for doing. He may be calling you to do that for which your family thinks you're crazy for doing. All of your colleagues think you're crazy for doing it. You, you get called names for being who you are. You get, you get looked down on and laughed at. You get pe People change the conversation when you walk into the room and all of them think that you're nuts. I promise you that there is a day coming. There is a day of resurrection that follows the day of crucifixion. And when the resurrection comes, the faith of the faithful will be confirmed. And the dead in Christ will rise. And we will ascend to the Lord in the air at the blow of the trumpet sound. Our faith will be confirmed. There will be one part of this old world that will still be standing up. My house and your house. Can you imagine what it would have been like for the people of Jericho? As they saw their walls flat, they would have been out there laughing and mocking and making fun of the people as they marched around all that time. But then, 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 the walls fall flat. Walls that had stood for centuries. Walls that were impregnable, impenetrable. And they fall flat. The picture that Joshua paints for us is one that is graphic. It led to the slaughter of men and women and boys and girls, families and generations destroyed in a second. And it wasn't because they were worse sinners than the Israelites. It certainly was not because they were worse sinners than Rahab. It was because they had refused to trust in Yahweh. It was because they had refused to put their hope and their confidence and their trust in the God of gods and the Lord of lords. And I hope, I hope, I hope that you will take that as a warning for your house and for your family and for your community. That there will come a day in which the judgment of the Lord will fall and the, and the walls around this nation will come crumbling down to the ground. And there will be a slaughter that will ensue. And it won't be because there were sinners than those who are saved. It won't be because they are, less, they are less obedient than those who are saved. It will be because those who have been saved have placed their faith in Christ. They have led their children unto Christ. They have led the generations unto Christ. This morning, this morning, this morning, will you heed the warning?
Will you heed the warning and come to Christ? He will confirm your faith. Let's pray to the Lord together. Thank you for watching or listening to one of our sermons. We would love to have the opportunity to connect with you one-on-one. We are not a perfect church, but we are a joyful church, and we want to help you increase your joy in Christ. We would love for you to come and worship with us one day soon. You'll be able to find information about our worship services, about who we are, what we believe, what we do, and what we're hoping to accomplish on our website at ironcity.org. And we would invite you to go and to check out all the information there. We look forward to seeing you soon. 